Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema in the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, we examine Christian Munju's 2012 meditation on faith and abandonment, Beyond the Hills, inspired by nonfiction works by Tatiana Braun. Boichita, played by Cosmina Stratton, has left urban life for a life of isolation as an Eastern Orthodox nun. Living in a small country monastery, her former companion Alina, played by Christina Flutur, comes to visit. This is less a visit, however, and more a play to draw her away from her new life. Both orphans, their relationship is Alina's lifeblood, and the thought of losing it forever sends her into an apoplectic state. Faith, sins, and echoes of the past collide. Much like our last film, Revanche, Munju takes a very naturalistic approach to his filmmaking. Long takes and a lack of musical score are noteworthy, laying bare the performances and emotions without artifice. Released by the Criterion Collection in 2018, this film joins two other Munju films in the collection. Join Nate and me as we climb beyond the hills. So Nate, I guess I'll just lay it out there and say this is our second uh, attempt at recording this. <laughs> Unfortunately, the uh, first time through my audio file was corrupted, so hopefully our second pass will be as meaningful as our first. I think this has happened to us once before. Uh, always kind of frustrating, but uh, you never know. Maybe another another look at the film will review some new or reveal some new things rather. Perhaps we exercised um, our demons the first time around. Well, well, there you go. Uh, that's that's well, a topical well joke right there. That, that <laughs> Well, I, I figured we'll just jump into um, the films of Christian Munju in general. I mean, this is my first uh, uh, time kind of diving into his work. I know Criterion's released a few of his films here recently, so I'll just throw it back to you. Uh, I think you have a little more experience with his films than I do uh, at this point. So I've seen three of his films. I've seen Beyond the Hills, Graduation, and his uh, breakthrough, I guess, in American cinema, which was the four months, three weeks, and two days. And certainly he has a very clear and distinct style, this very naturalistic way in which he is making his films and uh, is very much valuing uh, this kind of immediacy in his storytelling and his performances. And of the three, I think this is his strongest. Uh, When I first saw it, I thought it was too long and maybe... It is, but in a repeat viewing, in anticipation of our watching it here for this podcast, I definitely felt it flowed better and had a little bit more merit in its its length of two and a half hours. Um, this is, in many ways, the kind of movie I've always wanted to make. I've I've always wanted to do an exorcism story that isn't a horror film, and that's what this is, right? Uh, it kind of sneaks up on you. I didn't even know that there was an exorcism component to the story when I first saw it. But watching it, uh, you know, with a repeat viewing especially, you could see how it does lay down sort of the footwork for the final act where the exorcism actually takes place. And it approaches it in this naturalistic way that I find very refreshing 
and quite thought-provoking. So I think as far as Christian Munju as a filmmaker, he's definitely one who makes films that are going to promote the audience to engage and consider it. He's not going to spell out themes or offer up a ready uh, interpretation of the events on screen. But there's enough there that you have a sense that it's not all arbitrary, that there's actually a vision and there's actually uh, an idea behind it, and that it can kind of help you to engage the material and it helps you uh, to sort of confront certain questions about life, about society, about, in this case, religion, uh, that are well worth considering. Yeah, his style is very, very naturalistic, right? I mean, this kind of borders on pseudo-documentary style. I mean, there's uh, certainly cinematic language at work here, and there are shots that are planned, but it does seem very minimalistic in its approach, and it's not really interested in kind of amping up the emotion artificially, right? So I mentioned there's no no musical score. Uh, we don't really hear uh, any music till the final credits. And, I mean, clearly that's an intentional choice here, and I think that's the right choice for this material. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the exorcism element here, and I was kind of surprised that that wasn't pushed more as a central focus when you read, you know, synopses of the of this film or or just read about this film in general, it doesn't seem to be an issue that comes up, even though it plays a pretty instrumental role in the film itself uh, as the story progresses. So it's kind of interesting, even from a marketing standpoint, that that wasn't really emphasized. But I, I agree with you. I, I do like how it approaches that material. It, it kind of takes the element of an exorcism as a logical through line to this story of, you know, an interloper in, in a calm setting, right? So Alina comes to visit uh, Boichita, and they clearly have had a past relationship that seems quite complicated. There's certainly an implication that there was some level of a sexual relationship between the two of them. Uh, but in many ways, they are, at times, they seem almost like a mother-daughter relationship. At times, they seem like a seem like sisters. Uh, so they're, they're both orphans and they both, uh, grew up in an orphanage setting. And Boichita is at a place in her life where she has decided to devote her, um, herself to being a nun and, and to a completely different life. And this is something that Alina clearly has been struggling with and cannot understand. And, and, and Manju is, really focusing on the performances here for sure. Um, but uh, any thoughts on just the, the relationship between the two characters in general um, as we kind of get into more detail? Well, here? it's the trademark of Munju's work. He very much does seem to focus a lot on relationships, and he does flesh them out in very nuanced ways. They're not quite easily defined in a quick sentence, you know. Um, so there's a, a certain three-dimensionality to this relationship between Vajita and Alina that you see playing out in this film that is a kind of a through line in his other works as well. I think if I had a word for it, there's a certain kind of codependency in theirs uh, because you see both of them seem to have an inability to shake the other one and they have a... a you, you described it as 
in some sense, a, a parent-child relationship. Obviously, there is that heavy impl- implication of it being perhaps a sexual relationship in the past. Uh, but there is just this sense of the fact that Wachita kind of seems to need to be this caring, nurturing figure to Alina. Alina seems to kind of need Wachita to play that role for her. And they sort of almost uh, exploit one another in a certain sense. I mean, Alina's clearly an unhealthy person right from the very start. Our first image of her is at the train station coming from Germany to meet her friend. And she's in tears, right? She's clearly uh, emotionally and psychologically distraught. And you can see that this is not a healthy person. And that keeps playing out throughout the film. And really also not respecting evidently what Wachita is trying to say to her. I'm great. I'm committed to this. But Wachita at the same time, not really respecting Alina clearly is not compatible with what she is trying to do, right? She almost wants to nurture her into becoming a part of this life that so clearly is contrary to Alina. Alina is not meant for a convent. She's not meant to live in a remote, rural, very austere setting uh, that you see these nuns and this priest living in here uh, in their in their secluded era area. So I think that you have um, a, a codependent relationship that's taking place and ultimately is kind of the thrust of the, the drama that unfolds. It's obviously a yeah, real disconnect. And I think it's a good point to say that they're both kind of ignoring each other's wishes um or even each other's temperaments uh you know Boichita her character is very interesting I, I think in this film because she she's very kind of flat and calm but at the same time she's very forceful and direct when she's she has an opinion or uh she thinks that something needs to change she doesn't hide that at all I mean and her relationship with the uh the priest uh, who she calls Papa, which is interesting too, is a, a fairly frank relationship. I mean, she's just kind of right out there with her concerns. And it, her demeanor and her, the way she presents it is kind of disarming to us and probably disarming to the characters in the film too. Uh, she never seems overly emotional at any given point, whereas the the other nuns around her seem almost overly uh excessively emotional at times and are are really uh sensitive to any kind of changes within their environment so her her character is uh in terms of how she's written definitely is a contrast um and not quite maybe what we would expect and there are even some visual cues in terms of how she's She's dressed a little bit differently than the other nuns. But, I mean, I think that's meant to signify that she's kind of a novice at this point. Uh, But there's those visual cues that kind of always keep her a bit separate from the other nuns in the the monastery. But, yeah, Alina, as you said, is very unstable from from the moment we meet her. And she's an opportunist. At at any moment, she's trying to... uh, really influence the situation to get what she wants, even to the point of um, claiming that she wants to be a nun. And the, the second she's brought back into the fold at the uh, the monastery, she's, she's um, plotting their escape. Uh, so her 
instability is, uh, it's obviously the key driving force in this film, the key source of conflict. Um, any other, uh, themes in terms of, um, just how the characters react to this situation? I mean, does that bring to the forefront any other themes in your mind, Nate? Um, I'll kind of throw one out there, I guess. The, um, just the idea of God's will versus man's will, I think, is something that, that was uh, pretty evident to me, you know, how these characters would really try to react to the situation uh, in such a way that remained in alignment with their beliefs, but at the same time, uh, did you find that any of these characters were using their beliefs to justify maybe actions that were ultimately counterproductive or ultimately wrong. Uh, clearly, the, this is a very difficult situation. Uh, they're dealing with an unstable, arguably mentally ill person in the form of Alina. And I think the natural reaction is to try to get rid of that interloper, right? Get rid of that predator if you see this person as a predator in your midst. Uh, but, you know, is is Munju making a comment here about the shortcomings of, of religion or the shortcomings of science or medicine? We kind of see both of those play out here. Um, I'll just kind of throw it back to you on that. I think Munju, I don't know much about him as a person, so I couldn't say what his politics are, his religious background, any of that. I, I really don't know almost nothing. He's a very much a blank slate to me from a person. Uh, but as far as how he makes his films, he's, I think, very careful not to tip his hand one way or the other. He doesn't let his work fall into a polemic. And certainly in Beyond the Hills, that continues. This is not a film that offers, I think, uh, quick and easy themes that are readily identifiable to an audience. And it doesn't have, I mean, in some ways it's set up to be like the question of faith versus science or is it the individual versus the group? You know, and it, you know, some of those ideas or uh, contexts exist in this film, but it doesn't just play to some rote script about how to interpret it. Uh, to that question that I guess you posed about, is it about ma showing man's will versus God's will? To some extent, I don't know that God figures into this movie as it is because Munju doesn't seem to really be interested in the supernatural He's interested in the natural. Now, there might be uh, a character or characters that are open to the reality of the supernatural, but I don't know that he as a director and as a screenwriter was necessarily de uh, delving into that. This story could easily have been told in a manner not unlike, say, The Exorcist, where you heightened up some of those uh, features that are in Alina's character, particularly as she's becoming more and more distressed and as it moves to that final act and you could heighten it with score you could heighten it with uh, certain kinds of editing or certain kinds of shots to really highlight this idea the idea that there's a supernatural force at work here but he doesn't do that uh, that's not to say that he's denying necessarily the the rationality of a character like the priest who goes unnamed in the film but uh, is very effectively played and becomes a very pivotal character, despite us never really actually learning uh, a human name to him, just knowing his office. Uh, I think he takes them seriously on their own terms, but as a director, he's looking at them 
purely from the perspective of a almost like a documentarian. It's a fictional work, but it has sort of that kind of journalistic or documentarian approach to the characters and is trying to play out, I think, various worldviews colliding into one another and what happens as a result. You have the worldview of the dead, of the doctors, the worldview of the very secular young girl, Alina, the worldview of the religious community. Uh, you have all these different worldviews that hit into one another at different points in time, but what do you make of it? How do you try to handle and address problems in this world? I think this is a film that's interested in the the problem of evil, that is to say, evil is something that's not right, uh, something that's lacking or should be there but isn't there, right? Uh, it seems to be uh, aware of that and tr- taking that seriously, but I don't know that any of the way it's executed is really trying to assign blame. It's more or less, I think, presenting this and then forcing us as an audience to try to kind of evaluate, okay, what are my own biases or prejudices that I would bring to this work? I could easily take the role of saying, well, clearly this priest and his nuns are idiots and this girl's just got a mental illness and they don't do any service to her by strapping her down, performing this exorcism from which she ultimately will die. But at the same time, he shows that this is the exact same approach that the doctors took with her in the hospital, that in many ways what they do uh, in the convent is going to be justified based on what they saw and heard from the doctors earlier, because they first take her to the hospital. They don't try to take care of this themselves initially. And then this doctor comes along at the end, this very condescending and belittling doctor who's accusing them all of pretty much murder, uh, but doesn't take any ownership for her own institution's failings in this as well, right? So I don't think he assigns blame. I don't think he's necessarily trying to assign blame here. I think he's trying to open up... uh, Everybody sort of examine how it is that these different worlds collide and then perhaps what it is we can learn from the collision that takes place. It's a good point that you make uh, in terms of comparing the religious versus scientific approach. There actually is a fair amount of overlap there, right? I mean, as you said, in the hospital, she was also tied down. I mean, granted, it was to a bed versus a a plank, uh, but pretty similar approach, maybe the only difference being that the monastery doesn't have access to uh, to pharmaceuticals, right? So it's kind of a, there's probably more uh, similarities than there may be differences in in their approach to, to her illness. I mean, I think Manju is probably saying that maybe both of these systems are inadequate to deal with uh, her situation, which is I mean, you could say it's in a, uh, you could chalk it up to mental illness. You could say it's a, a spiritual deficit that she's facing or maybe a combination thereof. And, you know, these two institutions that are, are meant to address even both sides of that coin are, are, are inadequate to do so. But it's, yeah, I, I agree with you to say that it's not, I don't see Manju as being particularly critical of, of either one. I think he's just more interested in saying, you know, here's the situation. Uh, there are people involved on both sides of that coin and people have shortcomings. And, and you know, the doctor in the hospital is kind of anxious to get rid of her because he probably feels that well, there's nothing else he can really do when she's taking up space in, in the hospital. 
uh, taking up a bed that could be filled by somebody else that maybe he'd be able to help more readily. And as a religious institution, the, uh, the monastery is, you know, has a very similar motivation to kind of get her to move along because they just feel that the tools they have available are, are also, um, not going to be enough to address her problem. So it's, you know, I, I think, as you said, a lot of people could look at this and, and on the surface say, well, Manju is obviously being very critical of organized religion and how, you know, how that just will never really address human suffering in a meaningful way. And I think that really kind of misses the point. I mean, that's maybe the surface reading here. And also, as you said, the, the exorcism is really not the focus, right? It's not a lot of, a lot of that it plays out off screen very intentionally. There's clearly an intentional choice not to sensationalize that aspect of the story. I mean, they could have very easily had the theatrics and the, the swelling music and, and to even uh, play up her illness as almost some kind of a demonic event. And, and the choice to really have a lot of that off screen and to communicate the chaos really through the visuals of the nuns running around. I mean, that's all a very intentional choice and it keeps it grounded in reality and it keeps it grounded in a way that, uh, I think forces us to look at the situation more from a practical standpoint versus, a um, a supernatural one or even a scientifically based one. It's ultimately, I think he's boiling this down to human flaws and, you know, the, the institution of science may, uh, may be something that transcends human flaws to a degree, at least the idealized version of it. And, you know, likewise, you could, you could look at that, um, look at the religious uh, ideal as in a similar way that, you know, without the interference of people, maybe this is something that would uh, be able to address these problems. But ultimately, there are people involved. And, and I think he's saying that, that the shortcomings are always going to come through. But yeah, it's complicated. It's, uh, there's a lot to kind of dig through here. Um, and the characters are, uh, just kind of they're the mechanisms to play that out i mean the only real development we see here is wochita and alina and i I think the priest's character is uh pretty instrumental as well but um yeah it's it's hard to to pick one theme out of this because there's there's uh quite a bit of um quite a bit of variety going on and and very much a clash very much a clash of themes and i i think the audience kind of can bring Ultimately, the audience can bring their own biases to this uh, in terms of how they how they interpret it. Right? I imagine that's very true. That an audience, if I come to this with a fairly irreligious worldview, I'm going to bring that into my view of the material. If I come into it with a very strongly religious view, I'm going to have that influence the way I'm looking at these characters. So I think it does have that kind of impact on an audience, right? And I suppose that's unavoidable in a sense because. This is a film that's focused on the human and human characters, human dynamics, 
And that's naturally going to be something that's much more open to ambiguous interpretations because there's a certain ambiguity in any one person, right? You could have one person that's very much beloved by a, per, a, a group of people and then very much hated by another group of people, right? And so this is, people can elicit a strong and varying reactions out of others. And so a film that is very much focused on people and on human interaction, human personalities is going to probably have that impact on its audience. The priest, you know, if we could just focus on his character for a little bit, is very little is known about him, right? We don't hear a backstory about him, how he became a priest, anything like that. We know that there's a certain kind of intensity to them, and there's a certain um, hard line, I suppose you could argue, uh, approach to the way they're observing their faith. And he even kind of indicates that in the opening uh, scene of our introduction to him at the dinner table, right? As you hear him talking about how all these other areas of the world are falling apart, uh, that nobody really believes in anything anymore, and things are just terrible. And, you know, this is thankfully not the way we are here, but kind of living in a very secluded life, right? And a life that's also quite fragile because you see how they don't have enough money to finish the painting and therefore the bishop won't come out to bless the church and all these different things that are putting them very much on the fringe of civilization and really almost being like in a different era. Uh, but at the same time, touches of seeing that they are within our modern world. Uh, he's on a cell phone at a certain point. Uh, you see the city. They drive the car into the city, right, to go to the hospital. So you see that this is a very purposely self-secluded group of people and very much under this uh, priestly presence that's quite authoritative, but also at times very reasonable. I mean, the, there's the scene where the, the nun passes out because she thinks she sees a, a cross, a black cross in the wood, and he just kind of says, knock this off, right? So he's not shown as being this kind of, the devil is every corner. Uh, he's, he's shown as being sort of level-headed, but at the same time, sort of frenzied in his faith, right? And this makes for a, a fascinating duel between him and Alina, who is very much trying to be uh, a, a rabble rouser. If, for what reason it might be, we don't know, but clearly probably because there's some kind of ailment that's that's the source of it. Ultimately, the priest, the sisters, come to think that it's, it's a spiritual ailment, not a physical one. Uh, but the you know there might be a mixture of things going on there with her and i think the film's open enough and serious enough to say that hey no one person is going to be able to figure this out this priest figure as unlikable as he could be to a very secular audience is still presented a very fair way and in a way that i think is ultimately uh hopefully going to raise more questions for its audience than try to provide answers there's also a sense of things spiraling out of control to the point where uh, the priest and those in the convent don't necessarily realize what they're doing until it's too late, right? Uh, and that's kind of the, the tragic element of the story that uh, whether you look at the doctors or you look at the religious figures, they're all trying to help. And granted some of the decisions that are made are poor and ultimately it costs the life of Alina. And that's, 
the film doesn't really dodge that. And, and even the characters uh, at the end, they take responsibility or are willing to, to face the consequences of their actions, even though they may not understand fully at that moment how they got to that point. Um, yeah, I, I think the whole idea of the, uh, the board that Alina's tied to uh, being seen as a cross or not being seen as a cross is an interesting thing. The, we get the sense that when it's being assembled that they're creating a cross, right? Because Alina's arms are outstretched. Uh, we were never shown this directly. However, there's never, never that crane shot or overhead shot that shows her splayed out in a, uh, a, a crucifix like position. Uh, so the, the film is not exploitative in that way or doesn't want to hit that over the head. And even in the scene where the police is, uh, investigating, we really have that really long take that's centered on the, uh, the face of Boichita and someone brings in the board off screen and the police officer looks at it and says, well, you know, it looks like a cross and, and none of them really realize it until this moment. And even the priest at that moment doesn't necessarily see it as a cross. Uh, so uh, there's an interesting kind of through line in the film uh, about these different perspectives, right? I mean, all these characters are bringing their own biases and their own beliefs to the same situation and trying to address it in the best way that they can, uh, whether it be the police investigating or the, the doctors in the hospital or the, uh, the priest and the uh, nuns in the monastery. They're looking at the same situation through their own worldview. And and the idea that all these different perspectives can still lead to a tragic end is, I think, one of the points that Munju's trying to make. Um, we, we probably should shift to the uh, just the visuals and the filmmaking in general here. You know, we've kind of touched on how the, the film does take a more minimalist approach. So quite a few long takes, uh, simple camera setups, uh, quite a few just two shots, uh, minimal editing. And, you know, the color timing is, is very uh, cool. Uh, the faces are very pale. Uh, the lighting is kind of the soft overhead lighting, which doesn't necessarily seem terribly naturalistic. There's still obviously lighting taking place on the set. Uh, and it's, it doesn't claim to, uh, be a film that's shot in a completely documentary style or completely with available light. So it's still a theatrical element to what we're seeing here, but at the same time, it still comes off as quite naturalistic. Um, I, I think I used the term pseudo documentary before. That's kind of the way I saw it. There's quite a bit of handheld camera work, but it is in the scope aspect ratio, which is interesting. It, it does try to kind of create this sense of scope uh, to capture the rural setting that they're in. And also the production design is very intentional to, uh, to really emphasize those cool tones. And you get the sense that, you know, this is the end of autumn, beginning of winter. Uh, the setting is very clear in, in terms of season. And by the end of the film, of course, we're, we're dealing with quite a bit of snow. Uh, you know, it, it does emphasize, I also think, the the post-war 
post-Cold War climate of Romania, you know, it's something we probably shouldn't ignore as well, that this is, as you said, it's set in modern day. We, we hear a plane flying overhead at one point to kind of remind us that, you know, we are not uh, in the, the Middle Ages here in this monastery. This is modern day. Uh, but uh, the, the setting of the film is important, that this is a society that was under communism for a long period of time, and, and now that is gone, and uh, we have these institutions that are left, and, and perhaps Manju is kind of making a comment on that through the, the visual style. But I think overall, it's, uh, my understanding, this is pretty much in alignment with his, his filmmaking style in general. Uh, any other thoughts just on the filmmaking or the visuals itself? You're right. It's very much his way of telling a story visually. So the long takes are a major feature of his filmmaking, the handheld camera as well. I don't know that it's quite the same way when you think of a documentary style in America. That's usually a very shaky camera. This one, yeah. it's handheld, but it's not deliberately the shaky cam that you know, American filmmakers try to use a lot. So it is some very thoughtfully composed shots in this, and there are some really impressive shots in this. I think it's a visually very strong motion picture, and uh, the tone that they approach in it, I think, helps to build this world and really introduce an audience into this kind of life. It's a hard life. These nuns are not just sitting there in this very nice, tranquil uh, convent in the sunny hillside with blue with uh, blue skies and green fields and wonderful meadows. It's 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 hard. It's it's just dirty and it's cold and it's the just a tough tough existence. And you get that sense. I mean, they're constantly shown to be working, right? And I think it's very realistic in that way. I think that helps to get us into the the frame of mind of these characters and to make what transpires eventually in the story all the more impactful and believable for us as an audience uh, because we are, have lived with them in a certain sense by the way the camera is in there. And the lack of editing really, I think, helps to build the scenes, right? It, it builds the interaction between the characters. If you keep cutting back and forth in a dialogue scene, it starts to fragment it a little bit and the performances don't... Uh, we don't see how they interact and, ch- and uh, how they play with each other. It's more controlled and tightly contained by the editing. Whereas this way, the human really does start to emerge much more and you see some of the nuances of the characters play out. Uh, that helps, the, I think, the the subtle arcs that you see uh, take place to become all the more believable. Uh, a film like this could easily have been directed with some of those extra directorial flourishes to highlight the the fact that you know the the plank is said to look like a crucifix we kind of can infer it but we never actually see it we don't get some overhead shot showing it there's no rich try to trying to be symbolic here right it's it's very subdued in that regard uh, which probably helps with Jen the, again that sense of me the audience needing to really engage the content and then try to make sense of it. I, I don't get spoon-fed by Munju what I'm supposed to think or feel in this film. Yeah, the the style clearly um, supports that aim, right? I, in the hands of a different director, yeah, this would be probably pretty sensationalist 
uh, garbage in many ways. I mean, it's a it's a pretty long script. It's a very talky script. It's a long film. Uh, I suppose part of the decision making in terms of how they filmed it was uh, maybe a budgetary concern too, just fewer setups so they could cover more material in a shorter amount of time. But it it does help the film and it does make the film work uh, more effectively. Um, the, I mean, just the, the color palette, you know, the desaturated kind of cool tone color palette that I mentioned, uh, is very effective and it's a good choice here. And, and again, the uh, production design supports that as well. Uh, you know, those few moments where we do go into the city, you know, the city doesn't necessarily seem that much better off in terms of condition. I mean, granted the, uh, the, um, the monastery is pretty much huts in, in the middle of a field. And, but we get the sense that even the people that are living in the city aren't exactly living in luxury. And this is a, an area that is probably still struggling, uh, economically and, and people are, are trying to survive in their own ways. So even when we, uh, have those moments of, uh, the nuns going into town and, and visiting the uh, the family that Alina was staying with, uh, you know, we get the sense that these are not wealthy people, and this is uh, there's struggle kind of going on across the board from an economic standpoint. Um, it's always kind of startling to see, you know, an Eastern Orthodox nun juxtaposed with kind of those m- more modern elements, right? I mean, these are. Uh, we see the Byzantine icons and, and the touchstones of, of you know, really the oldest form of Christianity in the Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, yeah, contrasted with these more modern elements. And these, you know, when the police officers show up, it always strikes me as a bit of uh, a visual shock. It's almost like uh, modern day time travelers have kind of shown up in this uh, in this very medieval environment. So. Uh, yeah, Manju is is using these visual elements again to kind of uh, emphasize the um, the thematic um, points he's making in the film in terms of the clash of all these institutions. So the the visuals definitely um, definitely support that aim. And I think the sound design as well. Um, it's there's constant noise on the soundtrack. And mm-hmm. as you said, there's no score, but you hear the sounds of dogs. You hear the sounds of the chickens. You hear the sound of the wind, right? It, it very much immerses you in the world, right? And I think the sound design here is maybe kind of an unspoken hero because it really does, I think, supplement this film and in some ways op- operate the way a film score would. It's, I guess, called a diegetic score, because it just does create so much of the tone and the atmosphere and the idea uh, of what's going on here. And I think it builds up the reality of the characters for us as an audience. So I really would like to just point out, I think the sound design of this film is particularly strong and effective. Well, ultimately, it really comes down to the performances here. And, and Alina and Boichita, the actresses that... Um played those roles. So it's, uh, Christina Flatour and Cosmina Stratton. They, they shared the best actor 
Award at the Cannes Film Festival the year this came out. They're they're fantastic here. I mean, they're both uh, incredibly strong and really support the film ultimately at the end of the day. Uh, they're, I, I kind of alluded to before that Boichita's character is very calm but forceful uh, and direct. And her performance really is through her eyes specifically, right? She's not a very emotive character. We get those shots where her face is very central in the frame where other elements are kind of out of focus or there can be quite a bit going on in the frame, but uh, our focus is centrally on her very pale face wrapped in that uh, black um, headscarf. And it's meant to be really the emotional core of the film. Uh, so it's a testament to her performance that she can communicate so much with so little. So it's really a, a great cinematic performance in that regard. Then even Alina, her character, you know, I, it's important, I, I guess, as an audience member or just just looking at the film from a thematic standpoint to to realize that Alina's character certainly is guilty of quite a bit of wrongdoing, right? I mean, I think some people could ultimately say that, you know, she's a victim here. You know, she's someone who's mentally ill and needs help and, and she was essentially murdered. And that I think is a pretty narrow view of what's occurred. You know, I think not to say that she, you know, is getting what she deserves or anything like that, but, uh, clearly she makes decisions as well that, that, are are very destructive uh, during the course of the story, and the performance by uh, Christina Flitter is is very very convincing, and and it garners sympathy from us too. I mean, we see someone that is really hurting and it's been through a lot in her life, and it's someone that the characters in the film are trying to help, but uh, we ultimately wonder if she can be helped. Even if she got what she wanted uh, to have Oichita leave the, the monastery, would she be happy? You know, would that fulfill her life? Is that even a healthy thing for her to depend on ultimately? Uh, so those are questions that come through uh, in the performances. So any, any thoughts on just the acting in general? I know we kind of touched on some of that before too. The three characters here of Oichita, Alina, and the priest are tailor-made for theatricality and for soapboxes, but none of the actors and the writing don't go down that road. Uh, there's no obvious character arc that is, oh my gosh, it's this movie. It's about Wichita becoming this uh, independent woman who breaks off the patriarchy or the shackles of religion or something like that. It, that's not the way it plays out. It's not this, Alina is this poor misunderstood girl who has no moral agency of her own and is just the victim of really bad circumstances. It's not that. Mm -hmm. It's not the priest is this hardline, rigid, un inflexible man who can do no good, right? It's it's not that either, right? It's got elements of those. It's it's set up to make you feel like that, but then it goes much deeper and it becomes much more believable and realistic and therefore much more rewarding. I think the interaction of these characters is fascinating. The performers all do a very good job with it. I think of you know the the way Flutur plays Alina is really quite impressive because this is something that's tailor made for very over the top acting. And I just can't help but think if this was made in America, how so many actresses would 
really relish this part and just beef up those moments of outburst, right? And there is real outburst. I mean, you see her get angry, you get her, see her get upset, but always in a way that seems well within the realm of reason, right? Which mm-hmm. then makes it why the, because if she went so far over the top, I think the priest and the nuns would have been like, get her out of here. She's dangerous, right? The fact that it's a little more modulated in the performance is why you can understand why they keep trying to help her, thinking they can help her when yeah. probably they can't. But it's never so far over the top in the performance that you think, yeah, well, everybody would just say, boop, go away, right? But they're kind of flirting with the idea, but she's just reined in enough that you feel like, well, maybe we can make it. And I think it's because of the way Christina Flatour plays the part. Uh, the priest, and I will say I'm, I'm guaranteed to get his the actor's name wrong, uh, I think it's Waleriu Andriuta. Uh, I don't know if that's quite the correct pronunciation, but it's also very good. And he has a certain kind of piety to him, but also he has a certain kind of pride. Uh, so you see that there's a real serious pursuit of doing good and really trying to execute good in his uh, priestly life as a character, but it's marked by a frail human nature and the character plays that well. And at the end of the day, I think uh, Cosmina Stratton as Wojcita is by far the best of the bunch. She really has that ability to give us a sense that her character comes to a certain kind of awareness, but not in a trite way, right? It's not that movie where she just decides, wait a second, I've seen the light. I'm leaving the convent. I'm never going back. Uh, The, ending is almost almost like it's trolling that kind of character arc because she's at that point wearing different clothing than the rest of them more so than she is during the rest of the film right she's clearly out of her habit she's wearing white and the rest of them are in black uh so you have all those things you see all the nuns praying over alina uh and then wichita just kind of standing back and looking and observing it right and kind of standing above them looking at what's happening um you see that it's it's setting you up for that moment, and then she doesn't do it, right? Uh, she explains a few things. She adds some insight into things, which, by the way, might have made sense for her to bring up sooner to help explain some of the, the phenomena that people were experiencing with Alina. Um, and then she ultimately chooses to go with them, right? She doesn't have to go into the police car, but she chooses to. So she doesn't even exactly leave the convent or say, well, you all are in this, and you're to blame, and I have lost my friend because of you. She is still a part of them and chooses to remain with them even as they're going to this investigation for wrongful death. So I think that the film uh, in the performances is very realistic and I think very rewarding. I, I even think she's wearing Alina's sweater at the end, isn't she? Or maybe I'm just remembering that wrong. No, I think you're uh, right, yes. Yeah. So that's kind of a symbolic... Uh, take on just her taking responsibility for what's occurred uh, to a point. So, yeah, it's it's a film that it just has many layers, and and I appreciate that it's not um, clearly not trying to preach any one uh, viewpoint. So that's the mark of of a of a strong film, typically, in my opinion. But it's also not, I mean, because you can have films that don't really take a viewpoint, don't take a stand, and I don't know that that's meritorious. It's not a film that isn't well, not trying to itself, say something. But it, yeah, not it, in and of itself. 
Yeah, well, it's just this film does have ideas, and I think it is even trying to get at the limits. I think its idea isn't that religion is bad or no. being uh, old-fashioned is bad or something like that. It's it's not that diametric, I suppose, in its way of approaching its view of characters, its view of humanity. I think what it's trying to do is to advocate for a greater awareness of how different people can look at the same event and interpret it so differently, right? So it's it's trying to basically encourage us to expand our own understanding of how to interpret something and to slow down and really try to come to the truth as opposed to just jumping off and saying, I've got it, let's run with it. I think that's what it's trying to say. Because again, take this character, Valina, if we'd seen her die in the care of the doctors, I imagine most audiences would be like, well, that's unfortunate, but they wouldn't feel like, boy, medicine's terrible, right? But she dies in the care of the priest, and you might have audiences saying, ah, see, religion is woefully inadequate. And I think the film's trying to say, not necessarily, right? There's a, a mixture of things going on here that we have to try to slow down and absorb as much of the perspectives as we can in order to arrive at the truth, that the the doctors don't have the truth perfectly, the nuns and the priests don't have the truth per- perfectly, Alina doesn't have the truth perfectly. You have to somehow try to get into this middle spot where you'll find where the truth truly lies. And that's the way you're going to ultimately remedy things. I think that's what the film's ultimately trying to say. I agree. I, I think these institutions have to somehow work together to find the truth, right? And, you know, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, just to say that, okay, there's, it ended poorly in this setting, so therefore that whole setting is inadequate and must be disposed of. I mean, that's not the right answer here, obviously, Uh, even though on the surface that may be the interpretation that, that some people would take, and that's the easy the easy answer, looking at the events of this film from a very surface level. Um, but that's, yeah, that's probably uh, the best way to really summarize um, the the ultimate theme of this film. We can look at uh, Criterion's release here. Um, came out last year, and as I stated before, they released uh, two other Manju films in the collection, so it... it Includes an interview with uh, the director. There's a, a making of documentary um, from uh, from the year it was made. Uh, There's a press conference from the 2012 Cannes Film Festival, some deleted material, and an essay. Um, I didn't really get a chance to dive into the extras too much. Uh, any thoughts, uh, Nate? Did you get a chance to look at any of these? I watched the making of documentary and I liked it. Uh, it does give you a great sense of how they went about finding the location and building the sets. So that's uh, that's well worth taking a look at. I started watching some of the other ones, but I actually stopped because I thought, I don't know how much I want to hear about what Munju or others thought about this movie as they made it and what their thematic purpose was. There's a part of me that likes not having that explained and being able to just approach the film on its own terms. So I chose not to watch all of those as I was, as listening to them. Like, yeah, I kind of want to just have it be something where you as the audience are just responding to the movie. I think it's richer that way than having it overly explained. So we'll come to the final question here, Nate. Does Beyond the Hills belong in the Criterion Collection? 
I'm going to say yes. Uh, obviously, there's that point of is it an important film? And I would say certainly as a part of just helping us to know what's out there in world cinema right now, that you have to show movies that are out there. And so this is from Romania. It's obviously a country we're not going to probably experience on a large scale in the United States. I think this only made about $100,000 at the U.S. box office. So it's not like it's something that a lot of people would see. But if I'm looking at Munju, who's clearly the dominant filmmaker coming out of Romania right now, this is a perfect example of his work. I think it's probably the best example of his work from what I've seen. I think it's worth being in the Criterion Collection as purely a way of representing Romanian film and Munju's filmography. I, I agree with you. I mean, I think the um, inclusion of Eastern European cinema is something I'd, I'd like to see more of even. So it's nice to see this included in the collection. And yeah, if you're looking at modern Romanian film, I mean, this is, uh, I would agree, this is kind of the top tier uh, for that at the moment. And I, I mean, it's one of the things I love about Criterion is that they bring films like this to a wider audience. And even though it had some notoriety from its premiere at Cannes, you know, would I be able to see this otherwise if it weren't included? Uh, hard to say. So I'm, I'm certainly happy it's uh, been made available by Criterion. Well, that concludes our discussion this evening. Our next film will be Laurence Olivier's Hamlet, which will be released the first Friday in October. Thanks very much for listening, and have a good evening.